We're kind of wrapping up. We started a, uh, a series back at the beginning of October, and uh, we entitled it Koinonia. Um, just the word Koinonia actually, it means fellowship is one of the definitions of it. Uh, it also means uh, a joint participation where there's things that we work together with the Lord. We're working with Him. We're partners how many know that you're partners with the Lord? And then it, there's another one that, uh, that it means, uh, it means deep intimacy, almost like an intercourse between a man and a woman, but not a physical thing. It's, it's the, uh, the deepest intimacy that we can experience. That intimacy doesn't happen without first experiencing it with God. He's the one that takes us to depths that we could never go to. He's the one that takes us to heights that we could never go to. And, you know, man, God's been so good to us, you know, as a church, as families, as a community. He's been faithful. And he's calling us to go deeper. He wants us to come deeper with him. How many can sense that? How many feel that drawing? And just his loving, his loving gestures to come and, and spend time with him because we have to be people of presence. We've got to be people of his presence, for we love being in his presence because in his presence is fullness of joy. God wants us to be empowered. Joy is an empowerment. His love is an empowerment. Everything, that's the, just the, the greatness of God. He doesn't just share things with us. He shares himself with us. What greater relationship can we have than to share that fellowship, that koinonia, that deep, uh, deep intimacy, that, that joint participation um, that we can with our Heavenly Father? So, you know, in our first, uh, first week, we really talked about John. We're going through the book of 1 John, and uh, we're almost done. Be, next week, we'll finish it up if, uh, as the Lord seems fit, unless he does something else, because we just like to be led by the Lord. Amen. And uh, the first week, we really just taken one chapter at a time, and, and the first week, John was really showing us what the message of fellowship was all about. <laughs> He's like, hey, uh, our fellowship is, is with the Father and with the Son. And through having that fellowship with the Father and the Son, we come to be able to have a fellowship with one another as believers that we cannot have outside of having a fellowship with Him. And then we spent two weeks going through chapters two and really, um, you know, talking, or chapters two and three, um, talking about how to stay in fellowship because we just don't want to get into fellowship and then drop out of it. We want to stay in fellowship with the Father. And then last week we talked about uh, how to practice our fellowship because it's, it needs to be something that we're practicing. We want to practice fellowship with the Lord. Can you say Amen. And then today, in chapter 4, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to 1 John chapter 4. We'll have some things up on the screen there for you too. But um, in this chapter, we're really talking about guarding your fellowship. Do you know that you have an enemy? And I'm not talking about some in-law. I'm talking about you have an enemy of enemies, and his name is Satan. And the thing that's, that's uh, very hard about this enemy is that you can't see him. You can't see him. But the more we come to fellowship with the Father and we get to recognize who the Father is and who the Son is and what he has done for us and who we are because of what he has done for us, 
the more we'll come to recognize him and the more we'll come to recognize what he's not and understand our enemy and be able to say no to the enemy but say yes to the Father. Hallelujah. So today I want to talk about this, and there's kind of just breaking it up. We're really just taking, I don't want to say, you know, necessarily verse for verse. I mean, if we was to break everything down in every single verse, we would be here a long time, and that's a good thing. But uh, just taking this chapter, what we can, and we encourage you to read along with us, you know, this, this last month that we've been doing this. But in 1 John chapter 4, the first thing that, I don't know, in my Bible, it has a, has a heading there. It says, testing the spirits, testing the Spirit. So let me ask you a question as we look into this first part of chapter 4. Who are you allowing to influence you? Who's the major influencers in your life? Those you hang out with, those you listen to? Look what John says here, verse number 1. Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the spirit they have comes from God. For there are many false prophets in the world. I want to break down just a few things here. You know, we... Uh, I, I would say, you know, I'm, I, I, could, I could say that I'm kind of a naive person in a sense because I just, I just like to believe the best of people. Just like to believe the best. And that's a good thing. You want to be able to believe the best. But we have to weigh things out according to the Word of God. That's our determining factor. We, we weigh things out according to the Bible, according to the teachings of Jesus. And he says, we're not to just believe everyone who speaks and says that they're speaking by the Spirit of God, but we must test them. One translation says, carefully weigh and examine what they say to see or determine if the Spirit they have comes from from God, for there are many false prophets in the world. One translation says uh, many false teachers or even preachers. Um, you know, if we, if we were to break down the word prophet, it really means this, to speak by divine revelation or to be divine influence. There, a prophet, you know, or someone speaking by the Spirit of God will say, I'm being influenced by the Spirit to give this message. But to be carefully weighed or examined to see if they are speaking, for there are many false prophets in the world. Then he goes on to say, I mean, the Bible itself, it, the Bible interprets itself. It really just brings it down. It teaches us. Verse number three goes on to say, or verse number two, this is how we know if they have the Spirit of God. Did you ever wonder if someone has a Spirit of God? You, you says, this is how you know if someone has the Spirit of God, especially if they're speaking by, they're saying, I'm speaking by divine influence. I have a message from the Lord. If a person claiming to be a prophet or to speak by divine influence acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real body, that person has the Spirit of God. But if someone claims to be a prophet or to speak by divine influence and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, the truth about Jesus, what's the truth about Jesus? That he is God. Amen. That he came in a physical body and dwelt upon the earth. He was born of a virgin Mary. He lived a sinless life. He alone bore the burdens of all the sins of all the world for all time upon his body on the cross. Amen. Without him, there is no salvation. This is the truth about Jesus. 
I'm not ashamed about Jesus because I know what he's done in my life. You know what he's done in your life. And as we said before, going into this, this study in the book of 1 John, you know, John brought it up before early in, in, in his letter to this church that he's saying, listen, when it comes down to discrepancies in different religions and whatever's going on, when there's, when there's errors in truth, it's always wrapped up around the person of Jesus Christ. It will always be wrapped around him. Some will say, oh, yeah, I believe that, that, that he came, but, you know, that he lived on the earth, and he was a good teacher, and he did miracles, but he was not the Son of God. No, I believe that he is the Son of God. Amen? Amen? I believe that he lived a sinless life. He just wasn't a good man. He wasn't just a good teacher. He didn't just do miracles. He was God in the flesh. He was the only one that could explain the Father. He was the only one that truly seen everything and knows everything about the Father. Everything that we receive from the Father, those even who have received revelations before Jesus came to the earth, those who receive revelations from the Father, you know, the priests and so forth, as as they're teaching other people about the Lord, they were just glimpses of things, just just little insights that they would receive about the nature of God. But Jesus came to demonstrate the nature of God in perfection to us. So if someone says that they speak by revelation of the Lord, but they don't believe the truth about Jesus, what we just explained, then they don't have the Spirit of God. That person is not from God, it went on to say. Such a person has the spirit of Antichrist, which you heard is coming into the world, and indeed, it's already here. Now, we've been saying little things here and there, and I mean, I don't don't pretend to know everything. I don't even want to know everything. This is too much. Thank the Lord that he's God. We don't, that's too much to carry. But the times that we're living in, they're going to get darker. But at the same time, they're going to get brighter. And I know, so, I know it's like, well, how can, you, how can it get darker and get brighter at the same time? It's just part of the paradox of God's kingdom. Because the world is going to get dark. There's going to be dark things that are going to happen. But at the same time, while it's getting dark and while it seems like evil is just running rampant and having its way, at the same time, the power of, of the heaven and the kingdom of God is going to be displayed in the earth through his children. And that's why we want to stay, we want to stay in fellowship with him. Because the darkness needs the light. We need to shine brighter. And no matter how much light you have in you right now, no matter how dark it gets, darkness cannot extinguish the light. Light expels all darkness. Praise the Lord. So the first thing I want you to see in this first portion of Scripture is this, that you alone are responsible for what you choose to believe about Jesus. That solely rests in your hands to believe what you're going to believe about Jesus. I encourage you to believe what the Bible says about Jesus. Every letter, every tittle, as some translation would say, believe everything that Jesus said about himself and that the Father declared about his Son. Believe it all, even if you don't understand it at that time. Believe it. That's why it's called a walk of faith. There's going to be things that don't make sense to your natural mind. It don't. You receive revelation from the Father in your spirit, and by faith, he helps you to understand in your mind what don't make sense in the natural. 
but your, your spirit man just eats it up. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So divine influence starts with the truth about Jesus, who he is, and what he's done, and then it leads you back to the truth about Jesus. This is divine influence. The divine influence of God being moved by his spirit is it, it starts with the revelation of Jesus Christ and it takes it back around and points back to Jesus Christ because he's the way to the Father. You know, Revelation says this, another book of John, he's the only one that has as many books in the Bible as, as uh, you know, written by the Holy Spirit in the Bible. He's got John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and then Revelations. But in Revelations, he, he just had, I mean, he had, some, he had some encounters with the Lord, and he had some insight about the love of God. And this is what he said in John 19.10. He said, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The knowledge about who Jesus is, that's the spirit of prophecy. It's the essence. It's the nature. It's the substance of a true message from the Lord. Are you with me? So we have to test the spirits. Second, we go into verse number four. We need to know the difference. So who do you belong to? John begins to address this. He says, little children, you can be certain that you belong to God and that you have, and have conquered them, these false influences, for the one who is living in you is far greater than the one who is in the world. Anybody ever hear that scripture before? He says, I love it, I love it the way it says here, you can be certain that you belong to God. God wants us to be certain that we belong to him. You can't, you know, when a mother uh, delivers a child, a son or a daughter, she brings the child into the earth, she is certain that that child belongs to her. We can be certain that we belong to to God and have conquered the enemy for the one who is living in you is far greater than the one who is in the world. Now in the Bible it says the one who is in you is a capital O. The one talking about God that is in you is far greater than the one little O who is in the world. That's your enemy. That's Satan. He's far greater no matter, you know, the enemy brings a fear factor upon us. He brings, try to, he tries to intimidate. He tries to puff himself up. You know, all creation in the, in the animal kingdom, they have these things that they do when they're, they're being threatened in order to make themselves look bigger to intimidate you to stay away, right? Do you ever see like those, those little, you know, dragons or whatever, they, you know, they get around the little whatever, they're in the desert, and they kind of, they walk around, but whenever, whenever they're threatened, they'll stand up on their back legs, and these little things will come out, kind of looks a little freaky, right? They're like, whoa, I was going to eat that, but ooh, I don't know about that. I'll stay away from that. The enemy tries to intimidate us to make himself look bigger than what he really is. In comparison to God, the one who is in us is far greater far greater. And that word far greater, it, it really means it's not, it doesn't mean just big. It means that he is bigger in size. He's bigger in quality and he's bigger in quantity. He outmeasures everything. Actually, if you want to get down to it, you can look in Isaiah and Isaiah says, no, it's not Isaiah, my bad. Uh, well, I could be wrong. It could be Isaiah or Ezekiel, one of the two, when they talk about Satan had fallen, you know, and just kind of about where he was before um, he became our enemy when he was in heaven. But um, 
It talks about, you know, the world is going to look at him whenever everything's all said and done and he's judged. The world's going to look at him and say, one translation, are you kidding me? That's the one that tormented nations? That? Are you, that? Are you kidding me? God is far greater. We can be certain that we belong to him because we have his spirit living on the inside of us. Then he goes in because we're talking about the difference between these spirits and knowing who we belong to. Verse number five says, they belong to this world and they articulate the spirit of this world or its viewpoint is another way to say it. And the world listens to them, but we belong to God. Say, I belong to God. And whoever truly knows God listens to us. You know, it doesn't mean like everything that we say they're going to listen to. What it really means is, it says, you know, we belong to God and those, and then whoever truly knows God, they listen to us. They, they bear witness. The Spirit of God inside of them bears witness with the Spirit of God inside of me. And they hear the message that God is relaying. Can you say amen? They recognize. Those who refuse to listen to Really, that truth, talking about what do they listen to, the truth about Jesus. Those who refuse to listen to us do not belong to God. That is how we can know the difference between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error or deceit or deception. Now, I, I thank the Lord for the fear of the Lord that he, that he has given me. Um, I would be afraid to be a minister to, to, to be up here and to do all these things for the purpose of taking advantage of you. That, that is so far from me and my wife. That's so far. It's so far. But there are people who will do it because they want what you can give them more than what they want to give you. And that is not from the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God, yes, we have to have these times where we're receiving. It's so important to receive from God. You know, I've been learning this even more uh, recently, There's some things, just praise the Lord for his revelation. Someone shared with me this morning, just, you know, God speaking to them and, and, and telling them that he, he, he wants them to go deeper. And it, there's just something about hearing God's voice. It's so good. Even if it's a correction, it's so good because we want truth. We want to walk in his ways. We want to please him because of what he's done for us. And, you know, I... Uh, Maybe it's part of my personality. I don't know. I'll just get real for a minute. But um, I, just, I just want things to be done right. I just want to do, I want to do it right. I want, to, I want to please the Father. But a lot of times, you know, I will I'll come to a place. I'll be like, if I, if I, you know, just get to this place, and then I'll, then I'll kind of finally arrive, not in a sense of, of, you know, pomp and circumstance, whatever, just like, if I just get to this place, then, and then when you get to there, it's like, no, if I just get to there. But you know what I realized this week? We're never truly going to arrive, Period. Even when we're clothed with God, we're still going to learn more and more and more and more about Him. It was just kind of freeing. It just freed me. It's like, it's like if I just, and it's not, it wasn't like, there could have been some mix into like, you know, kind of like, you know, pleasing God. You, you got to watch that fine line of like trying to do something. I'm not trying to work to get myself salvation because that's not how it works. You understand? But there's, there's a work that we do with Him, that joint participation together. But we have to stay filled up. You've got to stay filled up with it. That's why, we, that's why he wants us to be in fellowship with him. You have to have times where you're getting filled up. And if you're giving out more than you're getting filled, you're going to break down. Just period. 
You have to have, your infill has to be greater than your outfill. Or if you get to a place where it seems like, you know, just demands are upon you and, and maybe people calling you to pray and you're kind of just helping people, whatever it is going on, and then you feel like you don't got anything more to give, I tell you exactly where you need to go. You need to go back to the closet and get filled up so that you'll have enough for yourself and others. See, God don't give us enough for ourselves so that we can just give to others and we're depleted. He gives enough for ourselves and enough to be able to give unto others when we're getting him, when we're receiving from him. Amen? Thank you, Lord. So those who refuse to listen to us do not belong to God, and this is how we know the difference between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error or deception and deceit. So the second thing, know Knowing you belong to God protects you from the spirit of this world. Knowing that you belong to God protects you from the spirit of the world. Now we get to a place in this chapter, verse number seven, that we find out that the source of all life and love comes from God. I mean... Love comes from God, period. It didn't originate with anybody else. Life starts with God. It didn't originate from somebody else. It did not start in some little pool of whatever floating around, and all of a sudden, bang, things happened. No, life started from God. He spoke, bang, it happened. Amen? So John 4, 7 says this, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. This is a common theme of what he's been talking to us. For love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. You can't, you can't truly love that, that, that affection of love. We, we receive from him first, and by receiving from him, we're able to give out to others. The one who does not love has not yet, the one who does not, doesn't love has not, has yet to know God. I'll get it here one of these times. The one who doesn't love has yet to know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the sacrifice. One translation uses that word propitiation. He was the propitiation, not just a sacrifice. He was the necessary sacrifice in order to bring peace with God, period. The requirement that God asked for was impossible for us to give it for the penalty of sin. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice to be able to meet that need and to take away our sins. One translation adds in and says, not only to take away our sins and the damage that the sins have done to our relationship with God. You know, sin damages our relationship with God. He goes on to say in verse number 11, dear friends, since God loved us that much, he loved us so much to send his son in the flesh to, to take the penalty on his, on his own body, on the cross, and I know it, it, it don't make sense to the mind, but Isaiah said it pleased God to crush him. God found pleasure in crushing his son, not for the sake of crushing him, but for the sake that him being crushed 
would bring many sons and daughters back to him. That's how perfect it was. Since God loved us that much, surely we ought to love each other. It should be our way of life. No one has ever seen God. We know we've seen glimpses of him here, whatever this and the revelations that we get, but nobody has seen his full splendor, nobody like the sun. But if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression through us. Even though we haven't, you know, like I said, you know, I know some people have had, uh, you know, trips to heaven and maybe they've seen, you know, Jesus or, or God the Father, you know, and different things like that. I don't doubt those things. I've never experienced that even though I've got revelations of him. But even in, even in those glimpses, if God took them to heaven, they're still here and they saw things. It is nothing compared to the revelation that Jesus is able to explain about the Father. And he says here, you know, we, we haven't seen him and we can't, you know, bring that fullness out like Jesus did to show us truly who the Father is. But when we love like God has loved us, when we begin to love, we become an expression of his love and of who he is in the earth. There's been many times you, you've, you've seen in other people in your, in your relationships, uh, you know, that serve the Lord that you would just all of a sudden you would see something in them. It just, it, it, it made you think of the attribute of the Father because they were acting like the Father. Even though you didn't see him physically with your eyes, you saw them, you're like, that's the Father. I mean, I've been there, I'm sure you've been there. It's like, you know, I want to I wanna be like that. I want to live better like that. I want to, I want to express God in that way because we see it and we want to express it. If we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to its full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit as proof, assurance that we live in him and he lives in us. That happens, that happens at salvation when we believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that he is Lord. The Holy Spirit will come to live on the inside of us. We had a dead spirit. We become alive. His, his spirit re regenerates our spirit. We have a live spirit connected with him. Furthermore, in verse number 14, we have seen with our own eyes and have and now testified, John speaking as he's telling in this church, that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. You know, there's one, one scripture in uh, 2 Corinthians that talks about the love of Christ controls us, or it, or it urges us, or it compels us. You know, the, the more we come to know God, the more that we want to express God. The more that we are loved by Him, the more we want to love like Him, Right? It just, it changes us. Just, just coming in contact with him, it changes our nature to want to be more like him and less like this world. The proof of God's life in us is demonstrated by his love through us. The proof of God's life in us is demonstrated by his love through us. In the last portion of scripture here in, in John chapter 4, yeah, it starts with number 16. It says, we have come into an intimate experience with God's love, and we trust in the love he has for us. One translation says, you know, we've come to believe in, and trust in the love of God. Have, you know, how much do you trust in his love for you? How much do you trust in his love for you? We've come to that intimate experience with God's love, and we trust in the love that he has for us. God is love. Those who are living in love are living 
in God, and God lives through them. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust, there it is again, in his love. God is love. And all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. I mean, he just keeps going back and forth about this life and this love and, and him being in us and us being in him and a demonstration of, of who he is before, within us, just trusting in his love. Verse number 17 says, and as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid of the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. I think the King James Version says, you know, as he is, so are we in this world. Another translation kind of breaks it down a little bit. Our standing in this world is identical with Jesus. Meaning like Jesus was on this earth and he trusted in the Father's love and he demonstrated the Father's love to everyone. We are made right in God's eyes through our faith in Jesus Christ and we could stand in this earth loved by God and exhibit his love to the world around us. Are you with me? See, I lost my place. And as we live in, as we live in God, our, our love grows more perfect, so we... We will not be afraid in the day of judgment, but we can see, we, we can face him uh, with confidence because we live like Jesus in the world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels or casts out all fear. One translation says there's no room for fear in love. There's just no room for it. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment because punishment is related to fear. And this shows that we have not fully expressed or fully experienced his love. Our love for others is our grateful response to the love God first demonstrated to us. I want to touch on verse number 18 just for a moment. Even in my own life, you know, this is something you walk out. You know, we walk out our salvation with fear and with trembling. The revelation that we have today will be expounded on tomorrow as we're seeking him and as we're looking to him. And as we're spending time with him and, and being open to him, as we talked about last week, God just wants us to be open. He wants us to be open. He wants to share more. There's levels that he has to reveal. And before he can start revealing more of himself on other levels, this level has to be completed. I, you can't build a third story home without first starting with the first story. You build up upon that. But you know what? Whenever we, whenever we have fear for every, anything in our lives, and I, I've recognized certain fears in my own life that it would come, and, and some of that would be the, uh, the fear of punishment or not being good enough. It can come in so many different ways. You just don't like, I'm fear of being punished. It could be like, I, I, I'm fear of, of making a mistake, or I'm fear of not being accepted, or I'm fear, whatever it would be. Fear of being outcast instead of fear being cast out. And the only thing that casts out fear is a greater revelation of God's love for us. And being able to recognize fear when it comes, whether as a feeling or as a thought or as a person, whatever it would be, that we have to look at that fear and say, wait a second, no, 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 no. And if I have fear, then I have to realize that I don't have a greater revelation of God in that area. And I need to ask him at that moment, Father, I don't need to be afraid because you're with me. I'm already fully assured that I'm your child. I don't need to be afraid. I know you're with me right now. So will you help me? 
Show me what to do. Give me, give me a greater I trust you. I mean, some of the greatest things that cast out, cast out fear is this trusting in his love. I trust your love that you're helping me through this. And God's there to help us and, 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 you know, take things away and just, you know, this or that. He's there to do all those things. But at the same time, there's things that he just don't want to take from you. He wants you to walk through it and for you to be able to understand what's happening so that you gain that authority over that. So when it comes knocking on the door, you understand. No, 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 no. I've heard you call before and I'm not going to listen. I'm going to trust in my Father's love because his love is perfect and his perfect love casts out all fear. Thank you, Lord. So verse number 19, our love for others is a grateful response to the love that God first demonstrated to us. Anyone can say, I love God, yet have hatred toward another believer. This makes him a phony, because if you don't love a brother or sister whom you can see, how can you love God whom you cannot see. For he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also demonstrate love to others. That command's been almost every chapter going through. We've got to love God. We've got to love people. Last point I'll give you, and then we can stand. Trusting in God's love for you removes fear of punishment from you. Trusting in God's love for you removes fear of punishment for you. God don't want us to live in the fear of punishment. Jesus came to take our punishment for us. And as one person, I heard a message one time, he said, you know, because of what Christ did and we're his children now, we don't need to think about punishment. We're unpunishable in Christ because he took our punishment. Amen? Amen. 